Welcome to the Strong Single and Human podcast. A real look at single parenting, how to navigate the ups and downs of life with kids on your own while keeping sane. We cover all manner of subjects from domestic violence, dealing with childhood trauma, through to fussy eaters and how to help your kids become resilient. I'm your host, Claire Martin. Welcome. This week's guest is a single mum, Louisiana native, and an award-winning actress, writer, producer, singer, and children's book author, who's worked in films, television, and theatre. She has received multiple awards, including the Best Actress Award at Festival South and the Best Actress Award at the 48th Independent Short Films Festival. Kelly wrote the feature-length film Shapeless, telling of her personal struggles with an eating disorder which premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival and internationally at the Raindance Film Festival and is now on VOD. Kelly also produced, co-wrote and was lead actress in the movie. And she's coming on my little old podcast. It's awesome. Kelly also regularly sings with her partner, musician and singer-songwriter Will Dickinson in New Orleans and the Southern Californian area. And if she wasn't busy enough with everything else, she has authored a children's book, Zoo Crew, about a magical journey through the New Orleans Mardi Gras, where little fans learn their ABCs with the help of some animal friends. This lady is a legend, is awesome, and is so blooming busy. And I have been trying to get her on the podcast for such a long time. Welcome, Kelly Murtagh. Welcome, to the podcast. Thank you. I've been trying to get you on for such a long time and you've been so busy doing everything, everything that I've just spoken about in the intro. Um, Hey, hi, how are you? Hi, I'm so thankful to be here, Claire. Like truly, when we had our first little conversation a while back about- Oh my God, way back. I was like, I can't wait to talk to you again, you know? And I just felt like I could chat with you all day. So I'm really excited to be here. I know, and I've had to fit you in between movie festivals and like film festivals and writing books and singing and like all of the stuff you do, but it's great. You're here. I'm here. So pleased. So pleased. And time zones. When we were trying to figure out the time zone, I was like, it was like a time warp. I was like, whoa, y'all are in the future over there. Yeah, it, it well it is. It's it's like 9 a.m. in the morning here for me and I don't know what time is it for you? It's, so it's 3 p.m. on October 11th. Oh, there we go. And you're already on October 12th, right? I am. What, I am. Happy you, days. Here I am. Teach me about the Ooh. future. <laughs> We don't need time travel. We just need to fly around this world. That's all it is. It's like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The only thing is I wish like we're a day ahead. So like if you're a day behind, like we could have the lottery here but then you could get the lottery ticket numbers and then like we could do a little deal. Exactly. I know. <laughs> and we like, could win that. There's, gosh, there's got to be. Yeah. We oh, got to figure that out. Don't even go there. I know. But yeah. I, yeah. We ain't done it right this way. But anyway, all good. Happy days. So, hey, look, sort of did a brief intro on you, but there's, oh, there's so much more to you. Tell us, tell us a little bit about who you are. Tell my listeners who you are and like, and your journey, because it's been a bit of a journey, hell of a journey, really. Um, and it sounds all glitzy and glamour, you know, film festivals and producing a movie, but it's not been like that the whole time, has it? No. I mean, it, no. yeah, it's interesting you say that. I think it it definitely comes across glitzy and glammy, g- glamorous on paper. And there is an aspect of that to it, but it's it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of hustle. It's a lot of grind. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah. So I, my name's Kelly Murtal, as you so beautifully introduced me. Thank you. I grew up in Louisiana, which is um, in the South in the U.S. And when growing up, it I just kind of always felt like I was too much, if that makes sense. Like I was often told you're so sensitive, you're so dramatic, like just from all around, you know, it, it, wherever it came from. And so I kind of, 
and yes, I am, I am dramatic. I'm an, you know, I am sensitive. I have a big heart. I'm an artist. I'm an actor. But I think I started to internalize that. And I started to kind of think that like something was wrong with me. I was like, okay, something must be right. Because like, I keep hearing this, like I'm too much, too much. I I need to contain. But that's a superpower. Right. Yes. Now I, now I understand that. But back when I was growing up, like that messaging wasn't really so much around. It was like, no, fit in the box. Why are you having all these emotional responses? Well, children should be heard and not actually like, children should be seen and not heard was like what I used to know totally. as a kid was like. Yes, yeah. stay in line, you know, be this way. And uh, that's just not how it goes. And so I think I internalized that. And I kind of started to think like something must be wrong with me. And, and I say all this to kind of like set up the context for shapeless. Um, but what it sort of manifested into is this just severe anxiety of just always trying to like, okay, figure out like, how am I supposed to respond here? How am I supposed to act here? How am I supposed to, and like always trying to like extrapolate forward. And then that sort of manifested the best way I can describe it is like, it's this, it was almost like always trying to control myself, which then manifested into an eating disorder at age 14 wow. where I was really wow. bulimic and really, you know, kind of would pendulum swing between restricting and binging and being bulimic. And, um, that was a journey that really stayed with me for a really, really long time. And I feel really grateful that we can even be discussing something like this on a podcast because back when I was growing up, it wasn't, it wasn't something anyone talked about. I mean, it's still not really something people talk about no no and did you like and it's it's I I've been in the same boat as you right I was probably I don't know I was probably a couple of years older than you I was like 16 in my first relationship Mm. and um I can remember the first moment I don't know if you can remember the first moment where you were like right that's it I'm doing something about this but I was out at a pub I mean, I was 16, 17, so I should have been in a pub. But anyway, I was out at a pub with friends and um, I had this guy turn around and go and just call me fat or whatever. I can't remember what it was, but he just was quite derogatory, right, to me. And he was probably probably a couple of years older than me and I was there with my friends. And I remember thinking, right, I'm so pissed off with just having this feeling of being not good enough that I basically just went, right, that's it. I'm going to do something about that. And so it was like restrictive eating. It was um, laxatives, but with the bulimia and all of that stuff. And admittedly, like I sorted it out in my head myself. This is a real cathartic thing for me because I haven't really sort of spoken on the podcast about this, but I sort of sorted it out in my head for myself. And sort of by the time I got caught, as it were, by my parents, um, I sort of, I wasn't taking the laxatives. I still had a thing about food um, and I feel as though I always will have. There's good foods, there's bad foods, there's like, you know, to have to keep a, an eye on all of that stuff and be very conscious not to pass it on to my child, oh, right? Yeah. But was there a time where you went, right, that's it, and you – and the eating disorder started or was it a gradual buildup? I feel like it was more, well, thank you one for sharing, because I think it's super important. The, I think these, these kinds of conversations can be really healing for people who have struggled mm. with eating disorders to just feel not so alone and isolated because that shame just keeps you in that spiral, you know? Yeah. And I don't, I must admit, I don't feel ashamed about it. I, I it was a, it was part of growing up to me I probably feel more frustrated by it but um yeah but was there a time for you I feel like mine was more gradual and I I can't even like I feel like I remember the I definitely remember the first time that I did it I, I was like 14 in high school um but I think I just kept internalizing all of these things that I was like hearing and and also like Gosh, just like the programming of society around us. That was not a period of time where it was like, you know, thankfully now we have these, this messaging of like loving yourself, body positivity. It was a very different time growing up. And 
I don't even think I really consciously knew what I was doing. You know, I think I, I, mm. I started maybe with restricting and like, and I noticed that I lost weight and I felt like that I got like external validation from that, which that's a tricky thing because unfortunately it it's still something that people comment on. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying in generalities, I'm not saying necessarily about me, but I'm saying like, that's something people just talk about in a general way about people's appearance, about diets, about food, about weight. And it's, it can be really damaging, especially for young ones. Yeah. And exhaust. It's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you can't, it, cause ultimately like the way I look at it, I was just having a conversation recently with someone who struggled with bulimia and, you know, we were talking about like how people who are really in the thick of it, like how scary food can be, like how terrifying oh. a cookie or a pizza pizza or whatever you've deemed quote unquote unsafe or bad. And yeah. Bad food, right, right? bad food, good food. Exactly. Yeah. And so it, it, you become so hyper-focused about the food, but then when you, when you pull back into a bird's eye view, it feels like it's all about the food, but it's really not, you know, like it's about something oh. deeper. And for me, was, yeah, I agree. I, right. And, and the best way I can describe it, like if I had to simplify it because it's complicated and complex and confusing is it's control. You know, it's that fear of not being able to control all these things in your life. And whether you know it or not, it's a subconscious way that you're controlling something. And um, it's, it it can be so difficult to describe to someone who's never experienced it before, because I think there is this big, big misconception out there that it's just this extreme diet gone awry when it's so not. And it's not. No, it's not. So let's so let's just take a step back sure. a bit. So and there are two eating disorders, aren't there? There are anorexia. Well, I say there are two. Right? There's probably know. loads of different facets, right? Yeah. But there are two very um, prominent ones, which is anorexia, which is the restriction mm-hmm. side of things, and then bulimia. Um, and bulimia is really more around the purging. Mm-hmm. So it's laxatives it's throwing up it's it's more about the binge factor Mm -hmm. feeling guilty purging feeling out of control and then grabbing and getting that control back again by purging laxatives however you just want to get that food out of your body because that's bad food that you've put in your body as such and you just want to get it out because yeah that's your out of control section section Mm -hmm. I, have I like have I described that correctly? I or think have you, so. Is there a different way that you would? I think you described it really well. I think you know with bulimia, there's this there's this cyclical nature to it where it's like you try to restrict because mm. you're not going to binge again, but then you end up binging again, and then you purge, and and it's almost like there's almost like a pendulum swing, swing with control when I think about bulimia because. You're, yes. you're sitting there, you're always trying to control yourself, control yourself, control yourself. And then you, you're like, you can't, you can't sustain that. And that's when that binging comes in. You're like, fuck it. Fine. I'm going to be out of control. I mean, and this is all subconscious. Yeah. Like, this isn't like I'm yeah. sitting there like hmm, that, you know, it's, it's like no. a subconscious energy. And it could be something as stupid as going, oh, I really but like I'll have a biscuit or whatever. And then you just go, right, I've had one biscuit. So fuck it. Like it is like what you say, right? Where you go, I've had one biscuit, fuck it. I'm just going to have the whole packet or I'm going to just eat as much as I can until I feel sick. Right, right. Because of that. And you're right. Switch where, and yeah. And there's not, and it's kind of hard to like quantify. Like, I don't think there's like a quantification that you can really definitely mm. not put on everyone, you know, it's all probably not everyone. No, but I remember we're all individuals. Aren't right. We? Yeah. But I remember when I was really struggling, there would always be this, like, there would be like, it would almost be like there was one bite too many. You know what I mean? It's like, you did it. There you go. You are too out of control. Now you're just going to be all out of control. And yeah. then you binge and then you purge. And that moment after, like you do get this sense of relief, which like people wouldn't do it. Right. If there wasn't some sort of slight very very brief relief and then the shame creeps back in and the guilt Mm. and 
especially when I was really struggling with it, um, I really felt alone. I really felt like I couldn't talk about it. I felt so ashamed. I felt like something was so deeply wrong with me. And I think, unfortunately, that belief perpetuated it because I kept believing something's wrong with me. And I almost like kept manifesting this thing to be wrong with me because you get stuck in that cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah. And, and it is a bit, it is a bit like that. I mean, I, like I, it probably, like I say, it probably only lasted, look, the, the purging for me, the, the pendulum swinging, um, only probably can, can continued for about two years for me. And then I sort of got out of it and went, I, I just can't, I just can't do this anymore. Yeah, how this did is you not... get out? Like, how did you help yourself? Wow. I don't know. Wow. It was so long ago. Like, I, like, but I don't, but also it was quite funny. And I've had this conversation with my mum and I know my mum listens to these podcasts. So she, she's this is not going to be a surprise, but it's almost like, um, I, I just got myself out of it, of, of the binging, right. Of the, of the binging. And I just went, right. I can't continue like this. Mm something has to change but even now and i'm 51 right even now i still have good foods and bad foods right foods that i go oh, i really shouldn't be eating that or i should be and at this age i'm now re-educating myself regarding well what i should be doing to make myself healthier because i'm now getting to an age where i'm old so things are starting to fall apart so things like I don't know, thyroid isn't really functioning 100% and various different things like that. So I'm going, oh, hang on a minute then. I need to be taking things. So I'm vegan as well, yeah. right? Most of the time, right? Most of the yeah. time. My son embarrasses me in a lot of places where I eat, where I'll order meat. And then my, he goes, but mum, you're vegetarian. And I'm like, oh my God, right? So like 95% of the time I eat a vegan diet. And then like, if I go somewhere where I can't, well, that's okay. I just eat meat. It's not like too much of an issue. And there are some meat dishes that I really do miss. So, you know, it's all right. But I do, I am vegan mainly because of health reasons, but there are different factors that I go. Um, and I don't know what you would call that if you're vegan most of the time, but not all of the time. But um <laughs> Yeah, vegan-ish. I don't know. I'm sure there's a I'm sure there's a name for it, like pescatarian and all of that blooming malarkey. But um, who knows, right? But um, yeah. But I don't know how I got. But I always feel, and even now, there are good foods and bad cookie, bad food, right? Good food, apple, um, salads, good foods, um, bad food, chips, burgers, pizzas all bad foods right so there is still i still have lists that are good and bad and what i have to then re-educate myself is to go yeah but occasionally bad foods not too bad just don't binge on bad foods like you know have a couple of bits of chocolate not a whole bloody bar you know uh, but there's and that's those elements so i sit there and I, I mean i don't know what you think but i sit there and go i don't know if i'll ever get over that food it's not and also it's like being addicted to food yeah so yeah. it's so like it's not like where you can go oh i was a heroin addict mm -hmm. and so i can you know i've given it all up or i was an alcoholic and so i don't touch alcohol like you have to eat yes. right if you don't eat you don't survive totally. right so totally. it's it's i mean i don't know um what did you find? I, I feel this isn't about me. This is about you. Well, it, well, it's, it's interesting because like, um, I, you know, this is such a complicated addiction, which is what you just were saying, where it's like, you can't throw out all the food in your house, but you can't, you can't go cold Turkey with this one. Like you, you actually have to heal it. And I found for me that what really, I really had to relearn was I had to just not put a negative or positive charge with any food. I really leaned into, and, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to go to treatment and have therapists and like have help in this, um, and guidance, but it, it almost was like going into this mentality of like intuitive eating where it's like all foods safe, all of it's safe. None of it's bad. It, you know, I try to follow my intuition about it. Um, 
but I think it, we can create these very, very powerful stories surrounding a cookie. You know what I mean? And like that can, can be, that's what's damaging. The cookie itself is not bad. It's what we've placed upon it. It's the, the charge put upon it. And then we are, we are creating these, these stories, you know, I found that for me, something, again, these, these topics are so complicated, you know, um, but something that really, really helped me get out of it. And this is something I found on, on my own kind of after I'd been in treatment and I kind of had, you know, a few relapses here and there, and I was in therapy, but something that really helped me was I found meditation. And that was for me, something where I finally found some space inside where I was like, oh, okay. Okay. It can be safe in here. It it doesn't always have to be like going, 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 or controlling, controlling, controlling. And it was a little bit more of like a breath that I found. And I had to slowly reprogram and relearn this story that I just believed forever, which was something is wrong with me. And that came through you know, affirmations or meditations. And I would listen to a lot of almost some of those, like almost like re I, I, what's the word I'm looking for? Like reprogramming your subconscious in a way meditations about like love, about loving myself. And I just really had to like shift this perspective I had of myself where it was like, okay, what if this isn't good or bad? What if it just is, it's such a gray area because even with treatment and recovery, it's not an overnight thing, unfortunately, you know, and, um, it is this, it, it, it almost became a gradual way out of it where I noticed the more that I would be kind to myself and would spend time taking a pause every day of just meditating. And, and I would just use one of the, these apps, you know, like an insight timer app, and you can search for anything. And it didn't even have to be about food or related to food. It was just like, okay, what do I, maybe today I want to do a meditation that has unicorns in it. I don't know. I'm just throwing something out there, but it's like just anything to pause the chatter because the chatter will keep you being a prisoner in your own mind. And it is that internal voice, isn't it? It is that internal voice. Oh my God. That one's, it's not you. It's like the mean, the mean drill sergeant voice. That's like calling you a piece of shit. Like that's not, that's not true. No. Like that's, that's just this, I don't know, this, per, this old mean voice that you've learned that's been informed by like, maybe the mean things you've said to yourself or somebody else has said to you or just whatever, wherever we picked it up from, but like, that's actually not really who you are. It's just that mean voice thing go like, Ugh, Oh no, you know, that's not the truth. And I think like starting to finally understand this concept that the thoughts in my head weren't me. I think that was something that was really useful too, because I never really heard that before growing up that like, Oh, my feelings and my thoughts aren't who I actually am. Like who I actually am is like underneath all that. Okay. Like something about that finally clicking. And and this is still an ongoing journey. Believe me. Oh, Um, I agree. It feels like it's this constant, like ongoing dialogue where you have to say like, oh no, I'm choosing to listen to that nice, quiet voice, not the mean screaming voice. Uh, I think that started, but that shifting of my perspective of just like, okay, what if nothing's wrong with me? What if nothing is wrong with me? What if this just was manifested because of all of these things that I, lies I believed about myself. Um, And that was useful or helpful. And I also think, um, what, like what we're doing right now was helpful. Like having true, honest, authentic, vulnerable conversations with with people. And I feel really thankful for Shapeless, which is the film um, that I was the creator of and co-wrote, starred and produced that was about my struggle with bulimia because in that container, I was surrounded by these incredible collaborators who I really had to communicate like, these things I've never spoken about in order to create. Wow. That's what I was going to say, because this is, this is like a personal journey for you. And I know with my situation, it's personal to me. And although I, 
I'm not, I don't have any issues talking about it. I feel as though people don't fully understand. I mean, I can talk to other people who have been through it and we sort of have that understanding. But, like, this is you exposing yourself to other people as such, your most inner turmoils in a movie. Yes. Like, what got you to that? But what did you go, Why? where, where did you sit there and go, I know, I know, I'm just going to go out there and, like, put me all over the screen, everything that I've gone through, you know. I mean, what made you do that? I find a lot of catharsis and understanding and empathy through art. So when I was in treatment, which at this point was about 12 years ago, I had this like very small seed of an idea where I was, and I I think the idea came from first, I went on a search of like, are there movies out there about this? Are there books out there about this? Like who's talking about this? And nobody was really talking about it. I'm like, I think the only movie I've ever seen is Karen Carpenter. Right, right. So there were some, but I felt like they scratched the surface. Like I felt, or it would be like a, a lot of times eating disorders were joked about in movies and TV shows. I remember seeing some TV show when I was in high school where somebody was like, oh, how did she lose? How did she fit into that dress? It was something along those lines. And some dude was like, oh, because she has finger sandwiches for lunch and dinner and like mimed and inducing bonding. And I just remember my whole, wow, I just plummeted. You know, I was like, oh my God, like that's, that's what people think about it. And I, and at that point I wasn't discussing it at all. It was still a secret. Um, And so that's what I was coming up against. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is the way it's being treated. And it's a shame and it's not useful. It's not helpful. It's not, this is just, you know, so I almost felt like I was like searching for a movie that I needed. And so I had this little seed of an idea in treatment where I was like, man, I would love to like make a movie about kind of based on like what I went through, which was a singer who was losing her voice to bulimia and like make a movie about like what it's really like somehow. But I remember even back then that mean voice was like, yeah, right. No one's going to watch a movie like that. Like, come on, you, you know, as, as the voice, that mean voice does, but that was where it first started. And then the journey was like a very slow baby step journey to get to where we are now being able to even talk about it. Um, and I think it's something that I kept revisiting over the years where I was like, man, I really want to do that. And like little by little, I, I was also um, at this point a professional actor. So I would, I was kind of like doing those things and writing a little shorts here and there and doing improv. And I was sort of like, whether I knew it or not, I was like baby stepping my way to, to Shapeless, the film we're talking about. And where Shapeless really, really began was after my daughter was born. My daughter was born. She was about four months old. And I remember I was holding her and I had one of those moments, you know, those mom moments where you're like, holy shit, it's all going so fast and the world's so big. And how am I going to teach them? How am I going to protect them? How am I going to help them? Like, oh my God, like she's only, you know, as you know, time goes by in a blink with these children. I just had this moment where I was like, how how can I help her? Like, how can I communicate this to her? Like, how can I somehow create a space that's like a little safer for her to live in a world that's a little bit safer where she feels like if something like this was going on with her, she could talk to me about it. And it wouldn't be big, huge, you know, strangly shameful thing that it felt like for us. And so that was kind of the impetus. It was like, my daughter really was the big inspiration for that. And I um, ended up just finally writing a first draft down. I had taken like a screenwriting course a couple years ago and I finally just wrote something down. It wasn't what it is now. It wasn't that. I knew it wasn't going to be that great, but I just was like, I got to get something on paper. And it ended up get it get out. It, just yeah. get, get, get the it story, the system. concept, the character, like the bones as best as I could out. And that draft I sent to the director, Samantha Aldana, who ended up becoming the director. I sent it to her because I also felt this 
this connection to her where I knew her from the New Orleans film community. And I felt like she was an incredible director. She does these very surreal kind of dark, magical films. And I I knew I wanted something sort of surreal in it, but I wasn't quite sure what it was going to be like something symbolic, you know? And so I sent it to her and thankfully like some piece in there she was interested in. And through that, that's where we started this development. And we started these big, big conversations that we've now colloquially called creative therapy, where we would just discuss like, what was that? What was that like? And I noticed the more I would share. And as we added collaborators, our incredible co-writer, Bryce Parsons Tweston, who just really came in and it, the script really took off and flew from there. And my ex-husband, the father of my daughter, who was also very, you know, curious and kind and open. And I noticed like, as I would discuss these things, sometimes with people who had never struggled with eating disorders, they would say something along the lines of like, you know, I've never struggled with an eating disorder, but I understand shame. Like I understand how that can manifest in my own life in whatever ways it manifests. And I think it can show up in a lot of different ways, you know, whether it be addiction or anxiety or depression, whatever it is. And I started, and then I would also talk to people who had experienced eating disorders. And it was almost like I could feel vulnerability healing this shame. Like little by little, I was more and more comfortable to speak about it. And that was, that was like something that was such a gift for me when I was able to go through this like pre-production process and that I, I never anticipated, but that's why I think I feel so, well, that's why I know I feel so passionate about healing uncomfortable, like these uncomfortable conversations, which thankfully we feel comfortable talking about this now, but not a lot of people do. And I think that when people are sharing their stories and they are able to like share their experiences, whether they're really difficult experiences, it can be a really incredible guidepost for people that who feel stuck, who feel like they can't communicate it. And so to bringing it back around to like the why of shapeless, I think for me, if I could simplify it, it was like, if I can help someone like one other person, I want to try. And I want someone who struggles with an eating disorder to watch this movie and say, that's what it feels like. Because it's so fucking hard to describe. It is so hard to communicate verbally. And so I think that film can really transport you into a world, into an experience. And it can be this little portal of empathy where you can really be there and you can feel seen or understood. And then for people on the outside, I hoped the same thing, a little, a portal into this world of someone who struggles to say, that's what it's like. Like I had no idea. And so if it could create this dialogue, um, that's what I was hopeful for. That's, that's initially what kind of kept me going. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and you're right. You're, you're even like you said to me, how did you, how did you get yourself out of it? And I'm like, well, I don't really know, but like, it's also about trying to describe you in that situation as well. Like, it's very hard. Like I can remember, I mean, I was like, well, you were a teenager. I was a teenager. Right. And the thing is like, as a teenager, you're so outwardly focusing on like what everything else is going on in the world. So like when this is all happening to me, it was like blooming Kate Moss and waifs and all of this stuff. Right. And I'm like, there is no hope in hell's chance. I was ever going to be waif like, right. I'm curvy. Right. I have hips. I have a small waist. I have hips. I have a bust. I ain't going to be like a boy. Right. And I'll never forget Levi 501's not fitting me because I'm not like a boy shape. I'm curvy, right? Yeah. That ain't no good. Right. They fit my hips. They don't fit my waist. There's so much gather around my waist. It's, you know, but it's like nuts, right? <laughs> yeah, Levi yeah, 501's were the big thing then. And, yeah, as a teenager, yeah, I don't, it's just. Yeah, it was, that was like what we were packaged. I mean, like it was the low waist jeans yeah. for me. It was like. I, they didn't fit, I, you know, this, and I just had all these 
And of course, that's what girls are talking about when you're a teenager. Everybody's talking about their this, their body, their diet, their this, their that. And I would just be listening and then internalizing it. And yes, you nailed it on the head. You are so externally focused, especially as a teenager, or at least I was. And I think that's something that like when I did finally find meditation, and this was this was only like five years ago, really, is when I started to, it, it was like I started to shine that light inward instead of outward as much. Again, this is an ongoing journey. Um, but it started to, it started to like lessen, loosen that grip. I think I had, cause I feel like before I was white knuckling to just be like, okay, I'm not going to binge. I'm not going to purge. I'm not going to restrict. I'm going to eat. I mean, you know, and I'm white knuckling. I'm thinking my way through this. It was always like, I was thinking it was in my mind and it was like, almost bringing it back to my heart is the best way I can describe it is like where I found some real healing. And what was your day? So like, well, I know what my, like my day would be getting up and thinking about food. Yeah. 100% of the day. So I'd like get up and go, right. But I'm not going to eat breakfast. I would like plan it out. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to eat breakfast. Right. Cause that'll be good. And then I'll have an apple for lunch or whatever. And you mm-hmm. just like, but, but then thinking about food, the whole and I don't know and I also I don't know how what normal people think about in a day do you know what I mean like at that time I mean obviously I do now but like at that time it was a hundred percent like what was your day like oh my gosh yeah the same it was always it, it was always about food and it was like how can I and I think sometimes it it would be very planned. Like, okay, like I'm going to try to skip breakfast. I'm going to try to like eat this little thing for lunch and like yes. not have, to, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then I think too, it was, um, I just was always thinking about it. I was always planning about it. I was always like, then if I wasn't thinking about it, I was shaming myself about it. So it was like, <laughs> it was this constant spiral of of being stuck in your mind all the time, never being present. It was almost like paranoia is the best way I could describe it. Mm, mm, yeah. And like, were you at home at this time? Were you like, when I, when 14, I first, so I'm assuming you, when I first, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. When I was like, when I first developed um, bulimia. Yeah. You're asking. Yes. Yes. So I was living at home. So did your parents find out at all? I mean, my mine did, but like I wasn't doing anything that they thought I was doing as such. Right. But like yeah. did yours you know, find I, out? Yes. My mom, um, I think I, I ended up getting like caught purging. And I remember feeling, and I don't think my mom intended me to feel this way, but I remember yeah. feeling like I was in trouble. Like I remember feeling like, oh shit. I'm doing something wrong. This is bad. Oh, fuck. You know, like, and, and so again, the shame, just like, like Doug Cooper. Oh, mine sent, my parents sent my brother to bed and I then sat me down in the lounge. I'll never forget it. And I like sat there and went, oh, this is heavy shit then because. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, shit. Because my brother's not here and um, I've got both of them sitting here and they don't look like they know how to talk to me. So I'm like far out where am I going which now as parents like we I can like now I try to like put my my in my mother's shoes and I'm like oh my god my I can only imagine like yes what how they were trying to handle that because I don't know what's hard like I truly don't know what's harder obviously being the one struggling with the mental illness or being the one on the outside loving that person not knowing how to like it's, they're, they're both like just difficult places to be. And so I, I did go to therapy back then, but I just always had this mentality that it was wrong. I was in trouble and I had to get out of there. Like, I, I think I still had this like perfectionistic tendency there where I was just like, okay, as long as it looks like I'm not in therapy anymore, but so I didn't really treat therapy the way I should have treated it. Right. I just kind yeah, of was like, me okay. too, me too. Right. I, like mum took me to therapy. We did this like mother and daughter massage session, which I found really bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure my mum didn't because like I sit there and think about my son and I love hugs and cuddles from him. <laughs> but as a teenager, you're going, I don't want to, why am I doing it? Like, I don't want to do this. Um, 
although we did and it was okay and it was fine, but like, and I was very much emotionally cut off. Like, were you, what, like, were you like, well, I'm going to be, I'm in control of my emotions. I'm cool. I'm okay. This is good. Were you like, did you push all of your emotions down? Yes. Oh, very much so. I think that's where, I think that's where this eating disorder comes from. I think it really comes from first pushing all your emotions down, like literally just not feeling safe in expressing your feelings. And this is again, an ongoing journey for me Yes, in trying to retrain myself to be like, oh no, all feelings are safe. This is all right. We're okay. Um, but it's, it's complicated it, because it's, it's comes again from this deep, deep programming or belief from a long time ago. Cause we can consciously sit here and say like, yes, it is safe to feel our feelings. And then when they're actually happening. That's a whole other story. What would you say if there were parents listening to this that had a hink? hint that their kids might be doing this what would you say to them because like my mum I know my mum would have gone through the yellow pages because there was no google at that time right, right she right. would have flicked through google she would have flicked through google she would have flicked through the yellow pages and phoned everyone she could right I mean at least there's google and there's lots more information I can't believe that was actually in my mouth then <laughs> at least there's google but anyway like you can search and research isn't it? but what would you say having dealt with the eating disorder what would you say to parents who may feel as though maybe they're one going through it or might be on that right. journey trajectory this is a difficult question and i'm yeah, really glad you asked sorry it. no no i'm really glad you asked it it's a difficult question because i don't think there's one answer um I think that one thing I'll just say is like a, is like a caveat, or I don't know if that's the right term right there, but I'll just say that when it comes to healing and when it comes to recovering, I really think the individual has to want to do it. And, um, I'm not sure if I was really ready to do it back when I was a teenager until I got a little older and I really started shifting my perspective. However, I'll just say that. Um, you can't, no, but uh, I agree with you. Right, you I, really I completely force, agree with you. Right. You can't no. force someone no. to get better. And so that's why I think it's so complicated because especially these young kids, you're still living at home with your parents. You're feeling like they're making you do something perhaps. So it's a, it's delicate. Like it's a delicate balance. And I think the best way I can say maybe for a parent who is maybe met with something so difficult like this is to as best you can be as safe as you can as safe as you can and say i love you nothing is wrong with you a lot of people deal with this this is something that we can we can help we can help find we can talk to you know if you're not comfortable talking with us like let's get somebody you are like a therapist i think finding therapists or like finding someone like that is really useful Someone be an external sounding board for them um, is really helpful. And, and just almost approaching it like a journey that we're going to take together and, and being honest, I'm scared. I love you. You know, how can I, as best you can, how can I help? Um, I think that now we have a lot more resources, which is incredible. I was just on the phone or on a zoom earlier with this woman um, for this company called Juniver. And it's it's incredible because this per, this woman, she had struggled with bulimia and she's kind of gone out to like create a platform that she wished she had. And it's more of this on-demand, like on like an online platform where it's like in the middle of the urge, like you can receive help like right then and there. Wow. Um, and so I think that there are these resources, but I think it is difficult when it's these teenagers, you know, again, because they're still, they're still figuring it, it all out. But I think as best as you can create the safest space you can of nothing is wrong. Like none of these, like you shouldn't be doing that. Why are you doing that? What's wrong with you? Like those types of messaging and stay away from this, please do. Because whether it comes across or not, 
that person's feeling a lot of shame. Yeah. And, it, and, and, and look, Freddie, uh, I have to say, it's not just women as well. I know you totally, and me are a totally. woman and a lot of people we've talked about are women. And I suppose it's maybe because we just, that's our section of like people who we talked about with this, but like Freddie Flintock, who's a fantastic, awesome English cricketer, who's a TV presenter in yes. the UK and stuff like that. He came out and said, Hey, I've been suffering from this for years for yep. absolute years mm-hmm. because he was called fat in the press, similar situation to me being called fat in a pub, but I suppose yeah. he was a bit more on the actual global network as such. And he just couldn't deal with it. He was like, right, sod this. I'm going to not be called fat in the press. And he got, you know, that's, uh, you know, it's, and I sort of sit there and go, it's a similar situation to me, but I was called fat in a pub, but you know, <laughs> but you know, it's just that not being good enough. It's sort of like, right. Right. Yeah. It can be it's sort that of one. that like, so if I'm thin, uh, yes, my life's going to change everything. I'll be good enough. Then if I'm thin, I'll be good enough. The press will leave me alone. The, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'll right. be successful, right. but that's not really, not really how it works. People. No, it's not true. And I'm so glad you said that because again, it's not about the food, right? It's not about, I mean, yes. And those comments are, are difficult and they can, it can be anything. You know, I think I remember some girl in like eighth grade saying my jeans were too tight. Like I needed different jeans. And I just, I just remember I took that on and was like, yeah, I can't, I must be too fat. You know what I mean? I must, you know, I must've grown out of my jeans or whatever. And, um, I think with, like going back to the the parent question, I think that like hopefully exposing children to to like the representation of people like you're mentioning Freddie from talking us or whoever is talking about it. And um I th- because I what I hope is like that that sort of level of like seeing it and hearing other people talk about it and saying like, oh, okay. Okay, I, I, it's almost like normalizing it in a way where then it becomes um, less scary, or at least hopefully becomes a little less scary to talk about. Because I think that that can be a source of big healing is like being able to communicate it with hopefully a therapist or someone that can be trained to help. In this exact place. And and I think we've got to stop saying it's talking about thin and fat and all of this malarkey right it's about talking about healthy body right so it's having a healthy body which doesn't necessarily mean to say that you're like stick thin and like because there is no way this body is ever going to be stick thin and i've always (laughs) so like but it's healthy it's having a healthy attitude to food healthy attitude to your body I'm curvy. I should embrace that and go, wow, curvy figures are like, yeah, exactly. Curvy figures are great. Big boobs, big bum, small waist, happy days. Kim Kardashian's gone a long way on all of that. What can I say? Right. But you know, those sort of things, Madonna had a butt implant because she wanted a bigger ass. I've got one and had one for life. Do you know what I mean? It's like, do you know what I mean? All of Exactly. And I go, Madonna, why did you get a butt implant, lady? Wow. Like, just embrace who you Again, are. It's like body right. dysmorphia is strong. It's yeah. complicated. We will see what we want to see and we won't see anything else. And I know, shit, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think you're exactly right. I, I mean, And again, I, I think there has been a lot of positive changes in this exact space with body awareness, with body positivity, with acceptance. Yeah. But, ex- you know, acceptance is is tough. It's difficult. But again, it goes back. If we could peel all these layers away, I really think it goes back to this. Well, at least in my experience, this, um, kernel of a feeling that I never felt good enough. Like it was almost like a pendulum swing between like, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough or I'm too much. Like I never, and again, that, and whose expectation? These were just my own expectations. I wasn't measuring up to, which again, that is why this is so freaking complicated and complex because it's all inside. 
it's all these, yes, maybe you you internalize things you've heard, but again. And, and do you know what? It's, it's, it's not things like, um, it's not things like upbringing either. It's like how you were impacted at school, like peer pressure and things like that. So not being picked for a team or not, you know, having a teacher say something at school that makes you feel stupid in a class or, or whatever. It's those sort of things. So we have to be really careful, you know, all of us do, um, really careful about how we're influencing and affecting our kids to a certain extent. But I don't but I don't want to put extra pressure on everyone because look at the end of the day, we're human, right? That's why I called this podcast what I did, but yeah, look, oh, we could go down such an avenue, such an avenue. And I know I've only got you for an hour. So look, where can people one see the movie two, if they want to contact you, where can they contact you? Yes. Um, so if you want to follow me, you can go to Instagram. You can follow my, um, it's just my name at Kelly Murtaugh. You can also follow at shapeless, the film, um, as far as watching the movie, if you are in Australia, you can watch it on Amazon prime, Apple TV, sky store, Virgin media. I believe the UK, you can watch it on all of those. And I think Rakuten TV as well. And this is also available in New Zealand, um, same platforms. If you're in the US, you can stream it on Tubi and you can watch it on Amazon Prime and Apple TV as well. Um, I also have a children's book out. It's about New Orleans. If you like New Orleans, yeah, that's right. you can find it on the Zoo, Zoo Crew, spelled K-R-E-W-E. It's for about kids ages zero to five. That's on barnesandnoble.com and amazon.com. And something I will say, just one like about our kids, I think I totally agree. I think it's it's starting younger than you would imagine. Like that's something that I, I haven't oh very, God. I've had a lot of conversations with people about like, wow, I know someone who has a nine-year-old with an eating disorder. And I'm like, it's, it's younger than you imagine. And it's coming from not because, not because we're not talking about food or we are talking about food. It's coming about, it's about what we talked about earlier about feelings, about not feeling good enough about feeling out of control. So like the tools, how can we get tools into young, young, young kids' hands about feeling safe in their body and their feelings and feeling safe in who they are, feeling safe in their individuality, feeling like they are enough, like they aren't too much. Like, and I think that that can come with, I think art can be helpful. I think books can be helpful. I think breath can be helpful. Meditating can be helpful. But I think it's, it's like, if we can, look as far back as we can to like where the roots of these things are getting implanted and how we can like really create some safe spaces for our, our children who, who don't maybe don't feel safe in their feelings and safe. And it's, and obviously this is complicated. I don't have all the answers, but I'm just, I think it's something to consider, you know? Yeah, no, I agree with you. And look, at the end of the day, we're all like, I mean, well, this is single parents podcast, but like we're all parents, right? Whether you're a single parent or you're in a standard nucleus family, whatever you would like to call it. I don't know. Maybe we should call it something different. Um, But um, at the end of the day, we're human, okay? So you can fuck up a few times, right? But, it, you know, it's about what you do consistently across the whole piece. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about not punishing yourself and doing the mummy guilt because you are, I, you know, Ooh. said X, yep. Y, and Z. It's about being aware of that and going, okay, I said X, Y, and Z, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. And, um, and learning and trying to adapt and develop your parenting style um, so that you're putting a positive turn on everything. I mean, God, in this day and age, parents, Jesus, it's like your child can be trans, gay, you know, like um, fluid, like they have issues with their body, whether they're male or female. My son went to school with his nails painted the other day and he got bullied and all of this stuff. I mean, you know, all of the, oh, I know. But like I said to him, dude, Post Malone, you know, um, Machine Gun Kelly, Young blood, all of their nails pasted, buddy. They're all rock yeah. stars now, right? Yeah. Look at who would have teased them at school, cool. right? So I know. 
tell the bu- tell the bullies to bugger off, right? They don't know nothing. Deal they with don't it. Know right? nothing. But you're right. They're just they just they yeah, just want to be I as free know. as he is. You know what I mean? They're just projecting. But you're right. Well, they have issues. That's the thing. They've got issues that they're dealing with and they're wanting to make you feel bad so it makes them feel a little bit better. Yeah. And the thing is, buddy, you know, it's, yeah, it's life, but we need to stop life happening Don't like we? that. Yeah, because yeah. that continues on. I mean, that's that. That's where, that's why we have the issues we do because people are just projecting their their pain onto others, you know? And I think something you mentioned too, it's like, being reflective as a parent and then saying, and then being honest with your kid, being like, you know what, when I said that thing, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I, I know it came across this way. This is, you know what I mean? And, and just trying to find that, I guess, com- well, compassion for yourself, but then the willingness to say like, I'm not always right. I'm not always doing it right. I'm not always per- definitely not perfect all the time, you know? Which is good because it makes you say, hey, nobody's perfect, all right? right? So then we get away from the thing that you and I were when we were teenagers. Oh, we have to be perfect. Yeah. We have to be X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And we don't. We just have to be me. We have to be us. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So, look, one final question quickly while I've got you. What book would you recommend for my listeners and why? Oh, I love this question. Um, so on the topic of all that we've discussed, I might say two. Um, one, if you're okay. interested in in learning more about eating disorders or anything like that, Portia de Rossi, Ellen DeGeneres' wife, wrote an incredible wow. memoir called Unbearable Lightness. And it goes into the depths of her struggle with anorexia. And I think that, again, it's what we were talking about earlier, having someone lay it out there with their own experience of like what they went through can be really healing. It can be really helpful to be like, oh, wow, somebody's talking about this, reading or writing about this. And then another book that really helped me, it's called The Empath's Survival Guide. If you're someone who resonated with what I was saying about like big feelings and sensitive and feeling um, overstimulated and just feeling all of those feelings, um, it's really helpful. And there's a whole chapter about people who are highly sensitive or sensitive and addiction and in particular eating disorders, which I found wow. so healing and fascinating. That book it's called, it's by Judith Orloff, the empaths survival guide. And something she talked about is like people who are highly sensitive. A lot of times have these eating disorders that come up young because it's, you feel overstimulated. You're not quite sure what to do with all your feelings, all this energy. You don't really know where it's coming from, where it's going. And so you kind of turn to this way of controlling through food because that's, that's an access point when you're young, you know, maybe you don't have access yeah. to like these other addictions or whatnot, but I found a lot. I, I thought that that book was really, really helpful for me too. Wow. No, that's cool. That's cool. I've got such a massive list of all these people who are recommending books that I interview. It's great. It's fantastic. I nearly need to get my ass in the gear and read them, but that's all good. Look, Kelly, thank you so much for your time today. It's been such a pleasure um, talking to you and connecting. And um, yeah, look, thank you. All the best with the movie. Um, I've seen the trailer and I think it is awesome. It is so good. So um, yeah, wish you all the best. Thank you. Keep in touch. Yes, I wish you all the best. Thank you for this conversation and your vulnerability. You rock. Let's stay in touch for sure. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you would like to hear more, please hit subscribe wherever you like to hear podcasts. If you would like to support us further, share this episode with your friends and family. And finally, drop us a review on iTunes as I'd love to hear your thoughts, comments and ideas. It all helps me to understand and produce awesome content you want to hear just like this. If you want to check out our past episodes, write to us, appear on the podcast, or for links, resources, and show notes, go to our website, www.strongsingleandhuman.com. 
We are also on all the usual social media platforms, Insta, Facey and Twitter. I hope you have a wonderful week and I hope to see you back here again soon. Be kind to yourself and remember, no one is perfect. We're all just putting one foot in front of the other and doing our best. I'm Claire Martin and you've been listening to the Strong, Single and Human podcast.